Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. If you have your Bible, open with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I spent some time this week reflecting on the one in sort of COVID, under COVID guidelines, or as some people have put their one-year anniversary of two weeks to flatten the curve. So um, I don't know if you heard that one, but I thought, yeah, that's, that's right. And while this year has been a challenge, and, and that may be an understatement for some of you, there's been some things I think that we've learned along the way. There have been some things that have been unearthed for us in the midst of a really, really challenging season. Uh, we learned a few things like this. Like some years, it is a bad investment to buy a planner. We learned that, okay? We learned that going to the grocery store can, in fact, feel like Hunger Games. It can. Uh, we learned that having to wear a mask is a good way to figure out if you have bad breath. Don't elbow anybody, okay? Uh, we learned that taking a walk around the block can be considered an outing, right? We also learned that toilet paper is, in fact, essential, which is why we hoarded it at the very beginning of this whole journey together. But maybe, maybe the thing that I've learned over the last year the most is that we were never designed to walk through life alone. We were never designed to walk through life alone. In fact, psychologists would claim that every single human being has three essential needs. The need for significance, the need for security, and the need for belonging. So, so catch this. The psychologist would say that the belonging is not just something that's sort of on the periphery of our lives, but it's actually central to what it means to be human. You could say it like this. We weren't designed for social distancing. In fact, in fact, if you're familiar with the story of the scriptures, you know this because on page two of the Bible, God looks at Adam and says to him, it is not good for man to be what? Alone, alone. Now, this is a remarkable statement because when God tells Adam that, sin had not entered the picture yet. So this is still that perfect Edenic garden that they are in, Adam and Eve, or Adam alone with God. And he says, listen, it, it's not enough for you to be without sin and just alone with me. Actually, you're designed for companionship. You're designed to have other people on this journey of life with you. If you're looking for a math equation, you might put it like this. Adam alone plus God was not enough. He needed companionship to be whole. And it's that same longing that still resides deep within our bones. I was reminded of this reality the very first time my brother-in-law told me that he was going to an event called Burning Man. When he told me this, I hadn't heard Burning Man yet. It was a number of years and he explained it to me. So if you're unfamiliar, let me enlighten you. Burning Man is a festival that happens in the middle of the desert in the middle of summer. And you're thinking, who in the world would go to that? Well, actually in 2019, 78,000 people went to it. It's based around these sort of bohemian values and creativity and self-expression and self-reliance. And then at the very end of it, at the very end of the week, after they've created the city, they burn down this wooden structure to just cap it all off. And it's this picture of how much people long for community. The middle of the summer, the middle of the desert, in order to 
get the sense that they're part of something bigger than just themselves. See, see, lone, rugged, independent, self-sufficient Marlboro man may have captured our American psyche, but he has not changed the longing that resides in each of our souls. We need each other. We long for belonging. It's the reason that 2.8 billion people have a Facebook account. Yeah, we were created for community. And yet, and yet, relationships can be really painful, can't they? I mean, if you and I were to sit down across the coffee table from each other and I were to ask you, tell me about some of the best moments in your life. My guess is you would tell me about people. You'd tell me about interactions, experiences that you shared with other people. And if I were to say, okay, now tell me about some of the most painful moments, my guess is you'd also tell me about people, about people that have wounded you, about people that may have hurt you, about a relationship that didn't work out. Yeah, we live in a, in a cultural moment where we are sort of experiencing at a rapid rate the decline and, and, and really uh, the absolute unraveling of the nuclear family. But along with that, we're also seeing that friendships and just base level human connections are going along with it. In fact, author Robert Putman did a study recently where he surveyed uh, American adults, and what he found was that 40% of American adults have zero to one confidant, zero to one person that they can call when life gets really, really hard, when life gets difficult, when they're in pain, when they've been wounded. The Harvard, the Harvard Gazette did a study during this COVID season where they interviewed young adults ages 18 to 25. And what they found was that amongst that age group, 61% of young adults have said during this COVID season that they have experienced periods of intense loneliness. And I think that this season has just drawn to the surface that which was sort of lurking lives for many, many years. I think because of the way that we've sort of architected our society and our lives, that we have sort of pushed friendship and relationship and community and belonging to the side. We've thought that it's sort of a nice addition to our life, but not acknowledged that it's central. And in so many ways, we live in the aftermath of those decisions. But I think over the last 12 months, we've been reminded of at least two things. Number one, that we were designed for community. And number two, that community is really, really difficult. It's really difficult. See, because when sin entered the picture, it wasn't just our relationship with God that was fractured, but it was also our relationship with each other. However, however, as disciples of Jesus, if that, and that's who you are, you're, you're seeking to follow the way of Jesus, and if, and if not, I just want to say, I'm so glad that you're here. You'll get to sort of look on and see the way that God has designed this whole thing that we call church to work, and you'll get to see and sort of get to discern how we're doing as a church body. But if you're a disciple of Jesus, I need you to hear tonight. Community is not optional. It's essential. It's essential. It's not difficult to become the person that God designed you to become in isolation. It's, it's not that that's difficult. It's that it's impossible. It's impossible. We actually need each other to become the kinds of people that Jesus has designed us to become. 
And over the last few weeks, we've been in a series that we've entitled The Way, where we're talking about what it means to be disciples of Jesus. And we said at the onset that a disciple is somebody who lives in the way of Jesus, with the heart of Jesus. They're learning to live in God's come under Jesus's reign and the goals that they're orienting their lives around. Do you remember these? Okay, let's say them together. If you don't know them, just mumble. No one will know. Here we go. All right, number one is to be with Jesus. Number two is to become like Jesus. Number three is to do as Jesus did or as he does. Yes. Some great mumbling. Good work. Five o'clock service is dialed in. And today what we're doing is we're concluding that series by talking about the second half of what it looks like to do as Jesus did. On week one, I said, if you want to memorize one passage of scripture that sort of summarizes our vision for discipleship here at Emmanuel Faith, I said, look at Matthew chapter 14. And it said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, unfortunately, in in our current English vernacular, the, the second person singular and the second person plural are the exact same. The word is you, right? You. Now, now, this is not true in the great nation of Texas. In the great nation of Texas, they've actually solved this problem and they have a way to make you plural. Do you know what it is? Y'all or all y'all or all y'all. And so here's the way you need to read Matthew chapter four, verse 19, because what Jesus says in the Greek, it's actually that you there is plural. So Jesus says to a group of men, follow me and I will make y'all or all y'all fishers of men. And here's the thing. He doesn't just call them as individuals. He calls them as a collective. He calls them as a, as a plural. And then he calls them to live that way also. So for three years, they live with Jesus. They follow him around. They have conversations with him on the road. They eat meals with him in homes. I mean, can you imagine Jesus as your roommate? Kelly can, because kidding. it's my wife. I'm just kidding. No, I mean, I'm sure Jesus always did the dishes, right? I mean, like, he was the best roommate you could have ever imagined. And so then he launched this community that he'd spent three years shaping and forming. He launched them out, and they became what we know as the first church, as the first church. And I would argue that it's that very thing, the church, that is God's answer to humanity's desire to be part of something bigger than themselves, to have deep, meaningful relationships to be known, to be valued, to be loved. See, God doesn't plan on restoring and healing and bringing you and I back to whole in isolation. In fact, I'd invite you to write this down tonight. God wants to put us back together by putting us together. That's part of the way that he wants to heal us, part of the way he wants to restore us. And I know that there are some in a, with as many people as we have here tonight, there are some, and you're going, Ryan, I've been burned by the church. I've been wounded. I've been hurt. I've, I've heard enough stories like that to know that I'm sure that that's true for a number of people in this courtyard tonight. Number one, I just want to say I'm so sorry for what you've walked through. Number two, I want to invite you, though, 
to open your heart back up to what God might have for you, to not let a, a bad experience close you off forever. And in so many ways of what I believe is, is sort of the ideal picture for the church, we're gonna fall short, no doubt, but this is where God is leading us and this is where God is inviting us to follow him. If you have your Bible, Acts chapter two, we see this picture of the early church depicted and it's on display, God's design for the church. Let me give you just a little bit of context and then we're gonna jump into this text. In Acts chapter one, Jesus told the disciples, wait in Jerusalem and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That happened at Pentecost in Acts chapter two. They received power, they saw miraculous signs, they started preaching the gospel in different languages where people hear it in their own mother tongue. And then you had this church that was formed in the wake of the Spirit's power descending on this group of believers. And listen to the way that Luke records what the early church was like says in verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What a magnificent picture of a community under the Lordship of Jesus. I think Suzanne Johnson just captured the significance of that early church when she wrote this. She said that they were a congregation of those called to be a sign of the world God wills. So, so they put on display for us the kind of community that God has designed you and me to be a part of. Yeah, you see significance, you see safety, you see belonging, all of these things met in the context of community. But I've got to be honest, in Acts chapter 2, and that passage has become sort of a pebble in my shoe because it's so rare. It's so elusive. I just haven't found all that many examples of that kind of community lived out. And hey, here's the thing, here's the thing. All you have to do is read forward a few chapters in the book of Acts to see that the wheels fall off for the early church a little bit too. Chapter five, that Ananias and Sapphira lie about how much money they're bringing to the table and they die. Not exactly Eden anymore for the early church. And so I think we have to read this within the context of everything else we read in the New Testament. We read commands like, forgive one another. Why does church need to hear, forgive one another? Because they're going to wrong each other. Because they had wronged each other. Or one of my favorite commands in the New Testament given to a church to practice within the church, bear with one another. Every time I read that, I chuckle a little bit. Because it's such a low bar. Just bear with them. Like, stick it out. And I'm going, yeah, that's all that I can do some days. Bear with. Amen, amen. Or 
Or we have commands like be patient, bearing with one another in love. Yeah, yeah the, the church, the way, this is sort of in Acts chapter 2, we read about sort of the honeymoon phase of the church. But I think it gives us ourselves around to go, this is what it looks like when all of these things are lived out perfectly. We're going to fall short, but even in all of her imperfections, the church is still the bride of Christ, and she is still one of the ways that God wants to put us back together by bringing us together. So here's what I want to do over this few minutes with you. I just want to dive into this passage in Acts chapter 2 and try to unearth a few things that I would say are, are DNA level values for the early church that I'd say should be DNA level values for Emmanuel faith for us as we move forward as well. Here's the first thing. Here's the first thing. Verse 42. It says, and they voted themselves. If you have your own Bible, circle that word devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to breaking bread and to the prayers. Now, there's a number of practices that are described in Acts chapter 2, but before we dive into any of those practices, I just want us to see and acknowledge the posture that the early church had. Their, their posture was one of devotion, devotion. It, that, that word means to attend constantly, constantly. And that's the first sort of DNA level value of the early church is to shared devotion, a shared devotion. And we see examples of devotion all around us. If you've been following the NCAA tournament, all right, you see pictures of devotion. Normally, those stands are absolutely filled with people going crazy. By the way, any San Diego State fans out there, I'm sorry. May their season rest in peace. But Abilene Christian, doing pretty good over there, okay? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you see devotion, right? People showing up longing to get into a game to support their team. If you've ever met somebody who does CrossFit, you've seen devotion. And if you wonder, have I met anybody that does CrossFit? But no, because they would have told you, right? Like, you, exactly. So, or people that are uh, Starbucks drinkers or Apple fans, or we see devotion all the time and all around us. And the early church was known for their devotion to each other, and to Jesus. In fact, catch this. This is what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They were devoted to what? What's the first thing? The apostles' teaching. Teaching. Yeah, I love the way that John Stott captured the sort of this picture. He says, the Holy Spirit opened a new school in Jerusalem. What does it look like for us to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, since we don't have apostles in that same way, apostles that had been with Jesus. What does it look like for us to be devoted to the apostles' teaching? It means that we're students of the scriptures. It means that we long to saturate our soul in the scriptures, in the written word of God, to say, God, I, I want to be devoted, which means I I'm going to continually be learning I know that there are things you want to teach me that I don't know yet. There's ways you want to change me. And God, I want to go to your scriptures to figure out what you say so that I can conform my life to your character. It means that we are the kind of people who are committed not just when it's convenient and not just when we're on fire and when we're passionate, but even when life gets really, really difficult and it feels like a slog, we're saying we are still in God, and it means that we're committed not just on Sundays. Friends, we are being shaped and formed 
every single moment that we're awake by the world and the culture around us. And it's not going to be sufficient to just say, you know, on Sundays I'm going to crack open the scriptures. No, 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 no. We're being shaped and formed by so many voices And we need to be people that are devoted. And I think one of the challenges in our current cultural moment is to mistake being surrounded by information for being saturated with Jesus. Those are two very different things. When we can carry the Bible in our, I think we might actually be able to trick ourselves into believing that we're devoted when we're really just surrounded. No, God wants us to be saturated. He wants it to get into the very fiber and fabric of our being. And I just want to say, man, I have seen Emmanuel Faith live this out over the last 12 months in some beautiful ways. Gathering together when it's cold outside, gathering together when it's windy, when it's too hot, when it's smoke was in the air in the summer. I mean, we saw people coming when it was 105 degrees outside just to say, we just want to be part of the church. We just want to gather together to remind ourselves that we're on a journey together and we want to posture our lives under the scriptures. I see, I've seen so many people over the last 12 months live out Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17 that says, iron sharpens iron and one Man or woman sharpens another. I've seen this community sharpening each other. And I wonder if you would say, even when it's inconvenient, I'm in. I'm devoted. Not just surrounded. Surrounded with the story. The second distinctive of the early church. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles who fellowship. And it says, and then they, in the breaking of bread and prayers. I think what Luke does is, define fellowship for us by saying they broke bread and they prayed together. They prayed together, which is one of the reasons we started our first Wednesday prayer gathering, because we will be a church community that prays together, that worships and prays. But that word fellowship is a word in in Greek, it's the word koinonia, and it means literally to participate or to share in common. And there were two things going on when the scriptures talk about koinonia or fellowship. It's what they had fellowship in, and it's what they had fellowship out. So in, they had fellowship in the triune God. So John would later write in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, that we have fellowship in the Father and the Son. Later on, the apostle Paul would write, we have fellowship in the Spirit. So when we gather, it's not just a bunch of individuals gathering together. It's a bunch of people gathering around God to participate in the very life of God in a way that brings together into one body. But the second thing was that they had fellowship. They, they shared things out in things. And if you look through this passage, there's some remarkable things that the early church shares out. I mean, they shared in meals in each other's homes. They've shared, they shared in prayer. We see that many in the early church sold possessions and belongings and distributed the proceeds to anybody that had need. See, there was this openness to God and an openness to one another that helped shape this early church. It's the second thing that we see. The first thing is shared devotion. The second thing is sacrificial generosity. The sacrificial generosity. Did you know that the command love one another is given 16 times in the New Testament? 16 times. That's a command that's impossible to practice 
alone. It only happens in community. And it's the most prolific man given in the New Testament. I've seen so many people, though, they, they've taken this passage and sort of twisted it to suggest that the early church was practicing some form of, some form of like communism or communi- yeah, communism or socialism. And, and it's just not in there, you guys. That's not what's going on. This was a free exchange from one person to another. It was not compulsory. They were not pressured into it. It was from one heart to another, people seeing needs and saying, I have the ability to meet that need and I am going to step in and sell some of the things that I have in order to meet the needs that others have. In fact, in Acts chapter five, verse four, when Ananias and Sapphira lied about the property they sold, listen to what Peter says to them. He confronted them and he said, while your property remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Even after that, it was yours. No, the the early church wasn't practicing some form of communism. It wasn't practicing any form of socialism. This passage and this community was about free, non-compulsory generosity that flowed from the heart because of love for other followers of Jesus. In so many ways, they were practicing what the apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 6 verse 10. He said, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So you catch that. Paul said, do good to everybody, but prioritize, prioritize blessing people who are followers of Jesus because the one another will be part of the message that you give to the world about who Jesus is. I love the way that one of the most prolific preachers in uh, the entire history of Christendom said it, Chrysostom. He said, speaking of this passage, the poor man knew no shame and the rich man knew no pride. The poor man knew no shame. The rich man knew no pride. And friends, there are so many here at Emmanuel Faith who are living this out. We have a fellowship fund where we collect money and then distribute it to those in our body who have financial need. And at the very beginning of this COVID season, we had a number of care callers calling through our list, our database, to just see if people in our body had needs that we could step in and help meet. Around that same time, a woman from our church named Patty called and she said, my house is just absolutely a wreck. Something's wrong with the electric. Can't turn the lights on. There's something wrong with the plumbing and my floor is literally caving in. Is there anything you can do? And so we called a number of the people in our church body that do that type of work and men on a mission. And they went over there and they started to, and I got a message from her just a few weeks ago where she shared with me, she'd been having all these lung issues. And when they um, took out her plumbing and replaced her plumbing, they found mold in all of her pipes. And she said, gosh, the work that the church did, so for the fellowship fund, we put her up in, in a hotel for a few days. This team came in and did a bunch of construction work in her house, and she wrote and she told us that the doctor has taken her off all of her antibiotics and inhalers that she was on. She wrote a note to the church, to you all, and said, thank you to everyone for everything. She said, I feel so cared about and so loved, more than I ever have in my entire life. I'd read you her whole letter, but too many heart emojis to translate, okay? 
But it was just this beautiful picture of a first century value lived out in a 21st century church. And I love the way that you all are caring for people and saying, listen, listen, we want to be the type of community that cares for one another and that does it really, really well. But here's the thing. There are, there are things that God's given you, gifts he's given you, passions he's given you, skills he's given you, where if he's called you to this body to be a part of it, he wants to use those things here to make much of his name. There's no such thing as a sideline Christian. We are all in the game. And the way that we play is through sacrificial generosity. Uh, let me also say, if you're here tonight and you're in a position of need, or you need some help, you need people to come alongside you, please, we can't meet needs that we don't know about. We want to be the kind of church that says, we're there for you. We're there for you. We want to walk with you through life's valleys and mountaintops. Next, here's what it says in verse 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through apostles. Time out. So this is a community where God is on the move. We don't know exactly what the signs and wonders that the apostles were doing are. We do know, though, what Jesus told them to do when he commissioned them and sent them out. Here's what he said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. He said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. See, when Jesus' disciples went out, we saw that they were demonstrating the kingdom's arrival by pushing back the effects of sin, the effects of darkness, by healing people and casting out demons. You might sort of think of it like this in your mind, that they were, people were healed, both body and soul. And I expected the same thing was happening in this Acts 2 church. Would you write this down? This is distinctive. The first is a shared devotion. The second is sacrificial generosity. The third is supernatural power. Supernatural power was on display in their midst. Now, whether you believe, whether or not you believe that God still works in these types of miraculous ways or not, I think we'd all agree that the church is designed to be different as or rotary club, right? There's something different about us. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote this to the church in Ephesus. In him, you or all y'all are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We are being built into a dwelling place for God. And the picture here is of a unique way that God dwells amongst his people. Sure, God is everywhere in a general way, but there's a unique way that God shows up when his church gathers. He dwells there with them. And if God is there, things should happen that wouldn't happen if God weren't there. Amen? Yeah, like, like we should see people who are being restored. We should see people who are addicted being freed. We should see people being healed. We should see marriages being mended. There's things that I believe God wants to do still in our day and our time by the power of the Holy Spirit that moves in our midst. And so even as Dave sort of welcomed us this evening and invited us to expect encounter based on what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2, I add my hearty amen to that. Yes. God is dwelling in our midst. And I just want to invite you to join me in praying that we see God move mightily 
Let's ask him to do it again. And if you're here tonight and you're hurting, if you're longing, if you're in pain, I just want you to know as a community of faith, we want to come around you and ask God to work mightily on your behalf. And friends, believe that God still moves and works today. And one of the ways we see that is that every time somebody puts their feet, a supernatural event occur. Amen? Amen. And that's something that the early church saw a lot. Verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. I love that picture of the early church. Glad generous. They're joyful. They're grateful to be alive. They're grateful for God's grace in their life. Verse 47. And praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Here's a striking thing about the early church. Now you can typically either have a tight-knit community that's fairly close to outsiders sort of clicky and maybe a little bit ingrown. Or you can have an open community that's fairly shallow and sort of on the surface. But the early church was both tight-knit and open. They were vulnerable with each other. They shared life with each other in deep and meaningful ways. And they said to anybody else who was out there, you are welcome here. It was exclusive inclusivity where through the person and blood of Jesus, through faith in him, anybody was welcome to be a part of it. And because of that, they started to experience day by day people coming to faith in Jesus. It was steady growth. You write that down, steady growth. Hear Jesus saying to the disciples, I will make all y'all fishers of men. What image comes to your mind? What image comes to your mind? A fisher of men. I either picture myself standing in a river fly fishing or on the side of a lake spin reel fishing. But when Jesus said that to those early disciples, they had just gotten done fishing. Do you remember, were they fishing with a pole? Nets, nets. And what do you need to fish with nets? You need other people. You need other people. You need somebody to hold one side and some hold another. You can't fish with a net alone. And I think that when Jesus tells them, I will make you fishers of men, he's using that as a metaphor for evangelism. But I think we should sort of maintain uh, the integrity of the metaphor and saying, like, this was something that they were going to do together, not just as individuals. That there was going to be a distinctive within this early church community where they could say to people on the outside, come and see what God's doing. Come and see the way that a community under the lordship of Jesus lives and loves. See my church in action and you'll see what my God is like. See, what was going on inside of the church was a strong evangelistic draw to those who were outside the church. Now, certainly you had people preaching the gospel, declaring Jesus as Lord, but then you had the church living it out and saying, this is what it looks like when people in a community take this seriously. 
I love the way that Leslie Newbegin put it. He said this, we must live in the kingdom of God in such a way that it provokes questions for which the gospel is the answer. And the early church did that. The gospel was the answer to the questions that this community evoked and people came in droves. So I don't know if this is your first time or you've been going to Emmanuel Faith for decades. I don't know where you're at. But I want you to know this. Even if you feel like you're on the outside, I want you to know you're invited to the inside. My prayer as a pastor is that every single person who calls Emmanuel Faith their church would feel like it's their home. Like they are welcomed here. Like they are known, that they are valued, and that they are loved. And can I just tell you, one of my prayers is to lead a church where we see people getting saved on a daily basis. People coming to put their faith in Jesus partially because of what they see happening within the church. That's why we're starting an Alpha course. Alpha's people that aren't yet believers, people in your sphere of influence that you know so that you can invite them. Hey, come and let's have a conversation together about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. No pressure, but I just wanna create space, just wanna put the table out for us to have that conversation. That's why we're doing that. So in this ideal, utopic, honeymoon phase of the church, there were four things happening. They were devoted. They were generous. God was on the move. Things were happening that wouldn't have happened if he weren't there. And finally, and finally, people were coming in droves. It's a picture of doing what Jesus did. In fact, would you write this down as we close our time together tonight? We can't do what Jesus did if we don't ground our life in community. We try to do it alone. And friends, as followers of Jesus, we don't gather around a burning man in the middle of the desert. We gather around a crucified man on the top of Calvary's hill who gave his life for you and for me that we might be made whole. But in making us whole, he doesn't do that just as individuals. He brings us together that he might put us back together. So let me end by asking you a few questions. Number one, number one, how can you love and serve? What would that look like for you? How can you love and serve? Number two, what can you give? What can you give? And number three, who can you invite? How can you love and serve? What can you give? And who can you invite? Emmanuel Faith, in a time of social distancing, let's be the church that pushes into community. Let's not settle for ingrown and clicky. Let's read out. Let's not settle for normal. Let's ask God to move mightily in our midst to show And let's ask God to put us back together by bringing us together. Guys, let's be people of the way, the way of Jesus, living in his way with his heart. Let's be people who orient our lives around the goals of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing as Jesus did. Let's live this adventure of being and becoming disciples. The last seven weeks have just been the beginning It's the next few decades where we get to work out what this looks like in a church community 
that's for its community. Let's pray. So Lord, thank you for bringing us together to put us back together. Lord, I just want to pray for the people in this space tonight who have been wounded by church in the past. And there's all sorts of roadblocks up and reasons why it's not safe to be vulnerable, to share honestly, to love, to forgive. Lord, I pray that you would say right now your invitation to lay down some of their guard and to open up. Father, I pray for the people in our midst that are hurting. Would you show yourself powerful, bring healing, bring restoration, please. God, we pray for the people that are, aren't here yet. May they see something in our community that draws them to you, Jesus. May they see our good deeds and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Do something great, Lord. We're asking you for the glory of your name and for your joy as we walk with you, please. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.